My childhood hero was Ross Rollerball Peterson. He's a great Canadian motocrosser who got a lot of really good results in the USA. And because he was the guy we saw every year when the Nationals came to town, he was our Rick Johnson or our Damon Bradshaw or whatever you want. So I grew up hearing about Rollerball, seeing Rollerball once a year, seeing him in these arena crosses across Canada, and he would just dominate year in, year out, whether it was riding all three classes for a while. Yes, our guys ran six 30-minute motos in our pro nationals, and Rollerball won them all. Uh, then it switched to a format where there was only two classes a day, and they alternated 125, 250, 500s. Then they dropped the 500s at some point. But anyways, uh, he was a great racer. And uh, the training stories I, I got from when I first started coming to the U.S. from Jim Hawley, from uh, Ross Maeda, from Mitch Payton were just phenomenal. And the guy was just an animal. And I'd never really spoken to him, got his autograph when I was a kid and stuff. But um Always admired him from afar, but I also knew that off the track, after he retired, he went through some low points in his life, like a lot of motocrossers do. So, I just didn't know how bad it was, and I think it got pretty bad for Ross. Anyways, this podcast from 2009, I believe, maybe eight, uh, I got a hold of Rollerball and uh, got him to agree to sit down and talk to me. He had heard of me before from talking about him so much uh, on Racer X Canada. So he kind of knew who I was. He said he remembered my dad, but I don't really know if he did or not. And uh, anyways, this podcast got a little depressing at times as he alluded to letting people down and, and you know, this and that. But, uh, but it's 2017 now, and he was honored a couple years ago in Toronto by the Legends and Heroes people. And he's doing well. He was working in Alberta on an oil line or something. And I haven't spoken to him for maybe a year or a year and a half. But I know people who have. And they say he sounds good. And he's doing well. And he's rebuilt his life. And he kept a little bit of property uh, from his winnings when he was uh, a pro racer. So he wasn't totally, uh, you know, didn't lose everything. And uh, But this podcast, man, it got deep. Got a little depressing. But in the end, it, everything worked out okay, and uh, this guy was truly a badass. I mean, even RJ and Wardy and those dudes, the very best guys that race against him, acknowledged what an animal he was and, and what a bad dude he was and, and everything else. So, uh, yeah, please enjoy this Racer X Canada podcast brought to you by the Fly Racing folks and Michelin Starcross 5 and Race Tech. And, uh, yeah, remastered and remixed for your listening pleasure. All right. Enjoy. <laughs> tune that I opened a podcast with that I just can't stop using. I, I need to switch it up, but I just think that thing's just a perfect opening for a podcast. Perfect opening song for the perfect podcast, which this one just might be. Welcome to the RacerX DirectMotocross.com podcast show. I'm your host, Steve Mathis, and this is it. To steal a cue from the Destroyer Films, guys. This is it. The podcast to end all podcasts. Well, for me anyways. 
I'm sure there's some of you listening wondering uh, why I'm, I'm going all excited like this. And uh, let me just put it to you this way. Take yourself back to when you were somewhere between the ages of 8 and 14. Those very interesting, young, formative years in a, in a young man's life. And think about who was your hero and who you worshipped and who you idolized. Some of you might be saying Roy Rogers right now. Some of you might be saying the Fawns. Some people Bradshaw. Some people RJ. Some people Jeremy McGrath. Depends on your age. Maybe it was that guy that had the blonde hair in the Dukes of Hazard. I don't know. My point is, is whatever you want to think about, that's what Ross Rollerball Peterson was to me. A little Canadian kid in Winnipeg, Manitoba, who only saw Ross Peterson race until I started going to Millville. But that's another, another story. For years, I just figured Ross was the fastest human on the planet. After all, if anybody was faster, why couldn't they beat him in Canada? So... Anyways, Ross Rollerball Peterson is a billion-time Canadian champion who traveled south many times and uh, represented Canada well. In the U.S., uh, third overall, 87 Hangtown National, fifth overall, 87 Binghamton on a YZ400, fifth overall, 88 Redbud. That's my point. He was a man. He did uh, motocross the nations, European supercrosses, basically whatever would pay the rollerball would show up, so... He was a man in Canada. He just, he, he was it. His reign of terror lasted from like 82 to probably 1993. He won everything there was and, and, and he just uh, was excellent. And, and, you know, when you're a kid, you know, who knows? That, uh, that's the time when you really start to look up to people. So the, uh, the Ross fell on some hard times after retiring and uh, he talks about them in this podcast and we were getting kind of deep at, at the end, but uh, I'm glad he did it. I'm glad he opened up. I didn't want to... Uh, get going on it too much but uh, i'm glad he did he sounds great though he sounds like he's back on track and maybe hopefully ready to make an appearance in a race sometime in the near future i'll tell you what if you stay through this whole podcast it's just full of information so i'm begging you stay through it uh this was a really honor for me to do it i was a little nervous calling him up i didn't i don't know him but uh luckily he had heard from me from 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 his buddies and he knew that i was a fan so right away the uh the ice was broken and uh, we got along pretty good I'm happy to be able to do this for RacerX Illustrated and DirectMotocross.com. We're releasing it on the same day on both websites, as I know the Canadians who check in on DirectMotocross.com will want to want to hear this as well. So thanks again for listening. I appreciate it. And someone told me these podcasts are now available on iTunes, so uh, along with the old RacerX Canada ones. So check that out. If they're not yet, they will be very soon. So if you want to sponsor this thing, shoot me an email at Mathis at RacerXIllustrated.com, and uh, we'll try to get something going. But now, enough of me talking. I present to you, Ross Rollerball Peterson. Ross Rollerball Peterson, thank you for doing the podcast show. I got to say, this is a great honor for me. I'm, I'm a big fan, and I'm younger than you. But when I was a little kid, man, you were the guy. So this is <laughs> this is this is pretty gnarly for me to do this. Honestly, I'm really really excited. So uh, thanks for doing this. Hey. Stevie, I'm real excited, too, and I didn't know I was uh, older than you by that much, am I? <laughs> well, I'm 35, so... Oh, I've been perfect. I'm 36, and uh, <laughs> plus a couple there. Uh, no, it's uh, it's an honor to be uh, coming back and, and uh, talking motocross and supercross. It's uh, it's great. Uh, I miss it dearly. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, 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 like I said, I'm... This is awesome for me. So let's get started. What uh, what are you up to nowadays? You're in Calgary, but what uh, what are you doing? Well, uh, you know, I came back to Calgary and uh, retired back here. I guess if that's what they want to call retirement. Uh, when you're working for nothing, <laughs> there's no end to it. So 
I'm just looking after my uh, real estate uh, interest that keeps me busy, uh, you know, keeping uh, drains unplugged and uh, toilets clear, but yeah. uh, and collecting rent uh, keeps you busy. Do you ever show up to unplug somebody's toilet with, like, your jersey on, number one, rollerball? <laughs> no, I never do that. Uh, but I'll tell you, a guy should have saved some of that stuff because, you know, now I think back of all the stuff that I had and uh, you just think it's natural you're always going to have it because you get a new set whenever you need it uh, and uh, new equipment every year. You wish you'd have kept all that stuff. Well, now there's not much stuff. Yeah, what do you have? What do you have from the old days? Anything? Oh, I think uh, back in the archives there, uh, I might have a jersey maybe and uh, a helmet. Uh, that would be about it. Uh, I was looking for uh, a pair of pants uh, or some goggles from uh, from a fan that uh, I talked to that uh, came by the other day and uh, I couldn't find them uh, anything small and the only thing I had that I that I knew I had was uh, one jersey, and that was back from the Montreal Supercross days, sort of hanging on to that for, huh. in the event I have some kids uh, someday, if I get lucky enough, I guess. Yeah, uh, you know, remember, you remember Scott Swinehart, the Bridgestone? Sure I do. He has a, pair of, yeah, he has a pair of your pants, uh, answer yellow and baby blue rollerball pants. and uh, Awesome, man, that's awesome. Uh, those, those, just looking at stuff like that when I see... You know, an old picture of me, uh, I'll, I'll see those pants or a jersey or a set of goggles, and you look at them, and they all tell a story. You know, you remember how this happened or that happened. Yeah. So I guess it's a sign of getting old, you know. You look at this stuff, and it's all got stories to it. <laughs> he uh, he won't sell it to me no matter what. I've tried to buy the, buy the pants, but he <laughs> will not let them go. So, uh, When's the last time you rode? Do you still ride? Have you ridden much? What uh, oh, What's going on with that? I haven't, uh, I haven't rode too much, Steve, uh, lately. Just, uh, you know, the event, uh, uh, that, uh, we're getting uh, some, uh, you know, Plus ten degree weather here. Now I'm going to be out, but uh, it's been uh, pretty cold up here. Uh, we've had some cold stretches here, minus twenty to minus forty. So uh, the thought hasn't even entered my mind. But now that it's warming back up, right. uh, we'll have to get out. And I haven't rode since last year, uh, so I don't know. I'll be a little bit rusty when I go out there. Uh, Jimmy might have a little bit of an edge on me now. <laughs> uh, no, he wouldn't trust me. What? Uh... <laughs> What uh? What do you what do you ride? Four stroke? Uh, uh, as I say, I, I I do a few private motocross schools, and I'm going to get back into that this spring. I'm going to have uh, I'm going to teach some schools, uh, mainly private ones, and, and work more individually with uh, with the rider. I feel that uh, that uh, will get me more back into the the scene. And uh, lately, uh, just been going on the odd ride when I have gone out, and just uh, usually end up uh, getting a bike or getting sponsored from one of my buddies that oh, yeah. uh, that have got a couple, uh, two or three bikes, and we go out and tear it up a bit. Uh, it's kind of fun to to get out there. But I'll tell you, you out there for. A uh, lap or two on the track, and it's like, wow! It seems like, you know, other than your speed down quite a bit, uh, it <laughs> feels like you you haven't left the track. That's for sure. Yeah, especially somebody like you who was always very aggressive out there. I imagine those feelings come back to you pretty quickly. You know what I mean? Like the aggressiveness and the wanting to uh, to ride super fast and challenge guys. So, 
Well, fear sets in a little more now, Steve. <laughs> you, you know, you know how if that old body of mine hit the ground, how it wouldn't bounce anymore, like the old rollerball did. It would just break. <laughs> no, don't don't tell me that. Trust me, you could don't don't ruin my don't ruin my dream that you have fear. So, uh, hey, I want to I want to talk about like the early years uh, when you were on a Kawasaki, like in the late seventies, early eighties. When did you start thinking to yourself? Like, hey, I can make a living at this. Like, I, I can do this professionally. Like, what at what point do you remember it ever saying to yourself, wow, I'm actually a pretty good rider? You know, we, uh, some of my uh, friends here, uh, Rich McElroy and I uh, uh, talk, and Marshall Johnson, a couple of close friends of mine that, that actually got me started racing. Uh, we talk about the old days and, uh, and uh, you know, some of my heroes that uh, – that I eventually uh, ended up racing against, you know, like the Jeff Fords and the Bob Hannas. And uh, we used to pedal our bicycles down to the uh, to the local, uh, you know, confectionery store and, and look at all the new mags that came in, uh, you know, on motocross action and whatnot and, and read about these guys. And then, you know, I guess it would have been about in the late 70s, you know, 79 when uh, I had uh, my Can-Am ride, uh, you know, knowing that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm you know, going to be racing against these guys now. And uh, and uh, you, you never really believe that uh, you're as good as them because you've put them up on a pedestal for so long, you know, like... I can I can remember many times uh, being down with the uh, you know some of the American riders uh, you know racing with Hannah or Wardy and uh, you know being with them beside them or behind them or ahead of them in the race and and actually going wow I'm doing okay here just you know <laughs> be cool don't fall or, you know don't make a mistake here you know you're you're still in awe, and you're racing with these guys. Uh, to, that would have happened back in about uh, the late '70s, uh, early '80s, mm -hmm. when uh, when I just started competing with these guys, and you, you all of a sudden realize that person that you put in uh, God's place, you know, uh, you know, either he'd slipped a notch or two, or <laughs> you know, things had changed. You'd gotten better. Uh, but you were racing with them. It was it was pretty wild. Yeah, I bet. And when you when you started winning regularly in Canada, like one thing I always admired about you was that it seemed like, and maybe this was just because you were trying to chase, you know, the most money that you could make. But it always seemed like you you weren't comfortable just being the best guy in Canada. You you could have just stayed home and, and won title after title after title. But you ventured south a lot and probably on your own dime. You know what I mean? Nobody was paying you. Yeah. And uh, so it was, to me, it's interesting. Did you just want to go to the U.S. and prove yourself? I and mean, was it just a pride thing? Or, you know, what made you start going down there so much? Well, back then it was, you know, as you say, it was, it was coming out of our pocket or my pocket because we were given a budget to, to use. And, uh, you know, by doing a lot more races and traveling more, you, you spent more money, of course, which, you know, depleted your budget. And the end result, money in your pocket. That's on the business aspect uh, <laughs> of things. But as far as you know, being out there, the challenge uh, I'd done well in Canada, and, and the challenge 
wasn't uh, as great as it was down in the state. So to come down there and and race against the, your heroes, number one and number two, you know, you had a challenge down there. And that was something I wished that I wouldn't have let. Uh, well, my contracts with the companies got in the way of uh, that. I had to compete in the Canadian series, you know, in Supercrosses because I would have liked, loved to have stayed in the states and and raced against the guys down there, you know, for full seasons instead of just coming down, you know, to warm up and the odd race during the during the year. Uh, I think uh, things could have been. Uh, you know, a lot different. Uh, and then who knows uh, when you're talking about time like that, a right. lot of different things could have happened, could have, should have, would have. Those are all uh, water under the bridge, you know, past tense. But, uh, hey, I would never, I guess, change anything. My career was great and uh, loved doing it. And, uh, you know, everybody would change their past at some point or another. Uh, you know, when you're looking in hindsight, uh I guess, yes, I wished I would have rode even more down there, but mainly it was the challenge of of competing with these, uh, at the time, the, the world's best for sure, and uh, at indoor or outdoor, and uh, racing with these guys and, and sitting next to them on the line was, uh, you know, a dream of mine, and uh, I was living it at the time. You know what's funny is you sound to me, that these guys were, you keep saying these guys were your heroes and you were in awe of them, but if you talk to anybody who watched you race, it seemed like you didn't give a shit who was in front of you, like you were just a gnarly, tough racer, so it's funny how uh, on the track you were one way, but in, in the, on the starting line you were like, holy crap, that's Hannah, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, uh, you could never let them see that, you know, that you, <laughs> you were you know, awestruck about them, but uh, you know, all the top guys that I rode against down there, uh, and even uh, you know the the guys that had come along with me up to challenge these guys, you're always in awe of of these fellas because uh, you know how hard they've trained and worked to get where they where they're at. Uh, you know nobody just handed it to them, and uh, it, it's a uh, it was a it was a tough sport, uh, especially back then. You, you didn't have one or two tough guys. You had you know. 20 guys there that were right there and a lot of uh, separation was just determined by uh, you know maybe some machinery uh, you know one having a little better this or better that and and everybody was very tough and hungry back then so you could never show them that uh, you were in awe of them you had to you had to put your you know wrestling face on so to speak (laughs) and go out there and you know mix it up a little with them yeah Hence the rollerball. The uh, and talking about your training, I mean, I talk to guys down here like Ross Maeda and even Mitch Payton, and they. I mean, a lot of thing that comes out comes out with you, and even you've told me some of your stories before. Like you were a training machine. Ross Maeda said that you used to get your mechanic to drop you off, and you'd run to Ross's shop, you know, just for training in the middle of the day or whatever. Um, oh, it got me hooked back then. Was uh, you know the best. You know, Warby and uh, Hannah, they were all, uh, you know, training and uh, hard, you know, like uh, they're out cycling or, or running and, you know, not just out, hey, I'm going out for a five-mile run, you know, and show up back in 40 or 50 minutes. It was like they'd go out for a five-mile run and 
come back in 30 minutes, you know, doing six-minute miles. This wasn't uh, out there for uh, to break a sweat. This was out there. Uh, mm-hmm. You created a little pain. You worked that hard. And, you know, I guess that's where the saying, no pain, no gain. And I know for me, it, uh, a lot of uh, what it was uh, that separated us was... Uh, was the training, and that was uh, my element. Uh, one of my elements of uh, greatness was that uh, I wasn't uh, afraid of uh, pain. I guess as far as the, the training goes, I I uh, seemed to excel with the harder I worked at it. So you know, uh, I worked as hard as I could at it. So <laughs> wearing myself right out, which I I did. Uh, you know, I found out my limitations over the years. You know, of what they call overtrain, and uh, I don't know if any of the guys got to worry about that nowadays. But uh, <laughs> there was, you know, days that, uh, and this wasn't just one day. This was doing this for two, three weeks straight. It was, you know, go out and cycle. Uh, uh, 35 miles, uh, and uh, and then uh, go and ride a couple tanks of gas through the bike, and then go out and uh, either swim or run for another uh, approximately 30 to 40 minutes uh, at a pace that was uh, that was uh, got your heart rate up there in the red zone. So it, you know you do that for uh, you know. 15, 20 days in a row, pretty soon, uh, you know, you're starting to take its toll on your body and you're starting to overtrain and, you know, you you start wondering what's going on. <laughs> you're going backwards for a little bit, but you're, uh, you know, you're finding out your limitations of your body. So I, uh, heck, the last school I, I taught, I went with some of the guys over to some stairs where we, where I used to run and uh, I was in my suit pants at the time and, and uh, shoes and these guys were in their shorts and that and I, I'm uh, as out of shape as I thought I was I ran up and down the uh, stairs a couple times with them just to, to show them that this wasn't a wives tale but uh, <laughs> this really did happen so it was a big advantage to me the training and uh, those uh, those rumors were I guess true about me that uh, yeah I did work pretty hard and I I used to at the time like to keep it under my hat because I I thought it was a huge advantage for me to to be in that type of shape and uh, and uh, I think the other guys that train that hard Wardy uh, and Omar and uh, the boys uh, they. Uh, they felt the same way, so we tell you all our secrets. Mike Harden told me a story about training with you, and he thought he was in pretty good shape. And then, you know, he'd run a lot and train a lot, and then he started hanging out with you for a couple of weeks, I think back east somewhere, and he was like, uh, I'm not in any kind of shape. You know, like Ross is really <laughs> whipping me. And then he told me a story about you did some sort of VO2 test in Holland or something with all these GP riders, and you had like the highest aerobic vo2 count or something in the history of this place do you, does that ring a bell do you well there was actually a, i know we did a, a test in medicine hat where my hometown or i was home based back then and uh i had a heart rate of uh of a highly trained marathon runner i know that and mm-hmm. you know what's funny was i ran to do this checkup i ran up to to do it to uh, do this test and I didn't realize that that they were going to be physically testing me there so I probably ran a couple two and a half miles just to this appointment that I was going <laughs> to and, 
as I kind of shocked myself, I thought, geez, maybe all this stuff is working because, uh, you know, there the doctor, he was kind of in wow, he he couldn't believe it uh, that uh, that I was in that good of shape. So you can't uh, naturally not be in that type of shape. I mean, just riding. I mean, everybody knows uh, what it's like just to go out and ride a couple tanks of gas through. Uh, heck, I was doing that back when I was a intermediate rider there. Uh, and junior uh, just out practicing until I, you know, realized that if you complemented that type of training with uh, some uh, yeah. aerobic training, that uh, it even multiplied uh, your abilities. So but, uh, it was always a little secret that uh, that I like <laughs> to uh, keep under my hat back then. But I know, it worked. I know, you know, I grew up in Winnipeg, so Austin was the track that I saw you at, and. Deep, deep sand whoops, uh, you know, six motos sometimes, most times four, and you would just kill them there. So definitely, I guess I saw where your training came into into play, you know what I mean, in that track. So, Man, back then, uh, I think to myself, four motos or six motos at the, that track, like uh, back in its day, uh, 445-minute motos on that track plus practice, yeah. that was uh, – that was the toughest track. I mean, you know, Florida's got some pretty gnarly tracks, but I don't know what it was with the uh, Austin uh, sand, but it was a, I think it was a finer sand is what made it tougher. Uh, it, it got rougher faster, and the whoops got deeper. It, it was, you know, everybody talks about Cocoa Beach, how rough it was, and St. Pete back then, but, uh, I mean, they were rough, but not like uh, Austin was. Yeah. Like, it was bike uh, craters there like uh, you know you the bikes would disappear going down the straightaway yeah. just falling in the holes they were that deep uh, austin was a gnarly track sirwall told me that austin was rougher than coco beach also because i was with ferry one time and i was trying to tell tim ferry about this track back at home and how and how gnarly it was and he said there's no way it can be rougher than coco beach and uh, sirwall happened to be like 30 feet away and i, I called sirwall over and i said sirwall What's what's rougher, Cocoa Beach or Austin, Manitoba? And he was like, "Oh, Austin, Austin by far." Yeah, yeah it, 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 I mean, there's uh, Jeff had certainly uh, rode at both tracks many times, and uh, I don't know what it was about Austin. I think him and I actually had a conversation about this, uh, why it was rougher, and we came up with that the, the sand was, you know, at, at Cocoa was like a sugar type sand, whereas in Austin it was more of a a, a grain that would be between, uh, you know, flour and, right. and sugar. It was a, like a r real fine grain, and it just made it that much tougher. Even the turns were tougher to take because of the sand. It didn't, it didn't uh, give you as much support. So I, you'd always want to wash out. Or it was a tough track. I had a, it was, it was, uh, it was hell of those Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> I was always wondering, in the mid-86, 87, you switched to Yamaha from Suzuki, and the only two years that you, you know, like, that you rode pro besides the early years on the Cowie, what made you switch to Yamaha? What Was it just more money, or what was the deal? What, what happened behind that? Oh, well, a, a big reason uh, to switch was uh, Lawrence Hacking. He was uh, team manager back then, and... Uh, Lawrence was a super guy, and uh, I switched over with you know because of him, and uh, of course John Gale at the you know at the helm of the racing uh, division back. Then. Those two guys were big enthusiasts, and uh, 
and John and Lawrence were great to ride for. And uh, uh, not that I didn't have a good at Suzuki, but these fellows were just a little more, uh, a little more even race orientated, and they they lured me over there, and uh, I was there for a few years, and then uh, you know how things go. Uh, <laughs> You get lured back by that evil dollar. So you went back to Suzuki for more money than you were making. Well, yeah, back then there was a big uh, uh, things had changed a bit, even more. Uh, we had a bit of a recession back in. Jesus uh, is going way back in '88, and yeah. it actually kind of coincides with our recession here in two two zero zero eight. So um, it. Uh, it was a little bit uh, better there, and uh, the bikes the bikes were uh, all real good back then and uh, and competitive. So um, you just kind of had to go with uh, uh, Marshall Johnson had a, a big uh, decision on uh, where we went back then, and right. uh, he felt that uh, the Suzuki's were the place to be. So uh, that's where we went. You don't have to say it, or we can take this out or whatever. But what was like the most money you ever made in your career? Like just overall everything. It's funny how you know. Usually later on in your uh, in your terms, you uh, make the or in your years, you right. in your career, you make the most money. It was about the opposite for me. Uh, the most uh, money I made was probably back in about eighty. Or really? Huh? Five? Yeah. Yeah, I would have thought. I would have thought it was way later than that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, they were pretty close, you know, back between '84 and '87. Those three years were pretty strong for me. Uh, I mean, it's it's embarrassing to say what you made back then towards what these guys. uh, I see Zetterberg just signed what a seventy-eight million (laughs) dollar deal. Twelve years. Twelve years. years. You know, I'll just take uh, one of those (laughs) seventy-eight. That'd have been happy uh, back then. You know, I, I I remember the. The big deal about Barnett signing that three-year contract back then yeah. for what it was a million bucks. A million or bucks. Yeah. And I mean, you know, back uh, back in my day, uh, you know, to to make, I think back in '85, I made four hundred and fifty thousand. I mean, it's that's that's peanuts. Yeah, it's peanuts. But peanuts it's... towards what the guys are making now. But back then, that's that was that was wow. the best you could do for the best. Uh, yeah, in uh, motocross would make, and uh, you know, I know some of the guys in the states made more than that. Uh, however, uh, it just wasn't uh, the sport. If you were going to be wanting a big dollar figure, uh, yeah. stick with uh, you know, uh, basketball or baseball. You know, those are the big dollar sports. Uh, uh, hey, there was none more fun than ours. <laughs> it's really, it's really a shame that like guys like you and even Lachine told me what what he's made in the past, like. You got an RJ and Glover. I mean, Glover has a regular job. You know what I mean? He has to have a job, and, and he's a six-time national champion. So, I it mean, it, it, just, it, really, it just sucks. It really is, and uh, something, I don't know how, uh, if the governing body should step in or somewhere along the line, uh, well, and it starts right from the manufacturers aren't paying the guys enough money to start with. Uh, uh, what was I reading somewhere that... Uh, Somebody said the the 20th place guy should be making a, a million bucks a year, and, and he should because right. uh, 
they're out there working harder than any other guy in any other sport is uh, I can tell you that I mean uh, I see what uh, you know and, and I know what the guys do and they're you know for training uh, and whether it's uh, you know hockey or baseball or basketball I mean there's some elite athletes in there don't get me wrong however uh, there if you took the overall consistency of uh, hard work uh, you couldn't beat the uh, you know motocross right uh, it's you know it's the most physically demanding sport in the world and uh you know there's no gimmicks to it it is it's a tough sport you gotta work hard and and our guys deserve more they yeah. really do and uh a lot of greats as you say like i'm my jaw's still on the floor here you saying brock's working a a normal job uh I thought if he was, it just was to pass some time because you know what can happen when we got too much time in our hands, uh, or at least I do. <laughs> uh, you know, Brock's uh, was a multinational champion, and the guy should be uh, somewhere down in Florida right now, just uh, looking over his herd of racehorses or something. Right. <laughs> you know. He, but I'm well, let's, sure uh, Brock's done all right anyway. Yeah, I mean, he, I'm not sure. I'm, I guess I shouldn't, I don't exactly know his finances, but he does work for Dunlop, and you would think he may not travel as much as he wants to, has to. But anyways, let's talk about that, that time on your hands that you alluded to. Uh, you're, you're not living in the gutter, obviously, Ross. You're, oh, you're doing no, fine, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, um, I guess I brought up a new story here. Uh, <laughs> you kind of did. You know, uh, some of the stuff I've heard about... Uh, you know, uh, about my uh, past uh, couple of years is uh, unbelievable. Uh, at first, I used to get a bit of a, a kick out of here. Some of the stuff that, uh, you know, I was down and out and living in the gutter. And, uh, you know, uh, you know the old saying, you know, uh, tell a sentence and send it through 10 people and see what that sentence says after it's gone around the full circle is quite different. And uh, I see how... Uh, that uh, is live uh, in the real world also. Uh, uh, no, things are going good for me. Uh, I had a little bit of a, shall we call it a life challenge there, uh, <laughs> or a hurdle in life to get over. And, uh, a life challenge, you know, I like too that. Much, uh, yeah, too much uh, idle time on my hands. Uh, you know, used to the high of winning races for 15 years, uh, I thought I would, I guess, try a different high, and uh, it uh, wasn't something that uh, I condone on anybody. It's uh, it's evil, and uh, you know um, you don't want to be involved in that stuff. And, All right. Uh, I'm glad to have come out of it, and uh, things are going well for me, and. Uh, you know, Hannah used to say all the time, as long as they're talking about you, it doesn't matter what they're saying, you're still on top. And, uh, <laughs> well, there's one time, Bob, I wish they weren't talking about <laughs> me, but, uh, it, yeah, uh, exactly. it, uh, yeah, it's interesting. And, uh, I can see how, uh, some of these guys that are in the tabloids, uh, I feel for them now because don't believe everything you read, because a lot of that stuff is bullshit. Uh, All right, so uh, we've touched on it enough, I think. So, what is there? Was there somebody in? Uh, I mean, you really sp spanned a, a generation in Canada. You know, the early '80s, you had 
Barini Jr. and Yari Heinen and those guys, and then you had Hoover and and Harden, and then you had Valencourt and even maybe JSR a little bit. Um, Was there one rider? Like, all these guys came up to challenge you, and, of course, we all know that you beat down all of the challenges. But uh, was there one rider that gave you the best run all those years in Canada? Like, somebody that you were like, hey, this guy, you know, was there a second best rider to you, do you think? Which generation are we talking any, here? Any, any generation you, you want. I went through a couple. I feel like my body feels <laughs> like I went through about six generations out there, but she went through a few waves of, uh, several waves of uh, riders that were great riders. And, uh, you know, uh, geez, they must hate me because uh, if Peterson wasn't around, they'd have been on top. So well, I-, I can think. There was some great riders uh I mean, uh, a fellow that I uh, really admire and got a lot of respect for, and in his day came up against me uh, at my best, really, and that was back in uh, 87, uh, a Canadian rider by the name of Doug Hoover. He was uh, he was a tough cookie, and uh, he worked hard, and uh, he trained every bit as hard as I did. He knew, uh, and that's funny how you, you know, how... Mikey showed me how to train a bit, and uh, I showed him what shape was. Uh, I took that little fella, Doug, out there at the beginning of the season out in California, and I I took him out riding and running uh, one day, and I showed him actually uh, what what I did, and uh, I think he uh, big mistake, huh? He took yeah, that was a big mistake because Doug, uh, you know, he was. Uh, uh, a big time motocross enthusiast and uh and uh go getter and he, he went out there and did what I did and uh you know Dougie had the ability also uh he gave me nightmares and fits there in Canada in in, in 87 and uh actually 86 87 and uh he made it tough on me and I think back you know how tough it was on me then and then at that time, that was when uh, I was riding my best ever. Uh, you know, I had my best results in the U.S. And uh, he, uh, I guess, uh, he would have been a many-time national champion also if he wouldn't uh, yeah. ran into me, I guess, out there. And uh, he, he beat you in '84. He was, he was the tallest. I was really impressed. Uh, I mean, Mike uh, Harden for for the whole. You know, several generations. He passed a lot of generations, uh, also of uh, of uh, riders, and he was pretty consistent all the way through, and was always there to knock on the back door if if I ever faltered and and won a championship against me in the 500 class. So, Mikey was always tough, and uh, you got to go back to a, a guy that was my hero, uh, Zoli Barini Jr. He was. Uh, he was my hero. I don't think I ever told Zoli that, but uh, him and Tom Gates were uh, big heroes of mine when uh, when I was a junior and, you know, before I started racing. Uh, those guys, uh, I can remember standing on the side of the track at Blackfoot watching Brainy and Gates go by, and I thought, I think I turned and said to my father, I said, nobody can go faster than these guys. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I still think about that. You know, and and then a few years later, I'm racing with them. They were they were great riders, also. So, and there's there's so many great riders that uh, out there that uh, you know you think back and 
if this and if that would have happened, things could have been totally different all the way around. And I was just lucky enough and fortunate enough uh, that all the cards fell in the right place, Steve. And uh, I had uh, I had a, a couple great years out there. Yeah, just yeah, right. Just a couple. They didn't fall into place in in '89 in the bar in Regina. Otherwise, you would have won those three titles too. But <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I think I only had to take one title that year on default or something. Yeah, yeah. I had enough of a lead, <laughs> and that was Saskatoon. And that was another uh, that was another challenge in my life when I got a little. Uh, too much time on my hands, shall we say? Uh, yeah, guy uh, learns from them lessons anyway. Al uh, Al has an asterisk behind his titles that year. He's got an asterisk uh, because yeah, there was Al, no role. Al, he was uh, two trick was uh, he was in the right spot at the right time. And then uh, I kind of fell to the wayside, and he picked up the slack. You know, uh, Al was a great rider too, and uh, he deserved a championship. All these guys that I mentioned, uh, and uh, lots that I haven't mentioned. Uh, deserve more recognition than than they've got and you know it just uh we're coming motocross is becoming uh, more national i'm seeing a lot more of it on tv and uh it's just going to take a little bit of time uh, but uh, we know what the number one sport is see ross i don't think they do deserve the credit you beat them all you were the rollerball they don't deserve any credit they couldn't beat well, the rollerball I worked a little harder than them. If I'd have ta- told them all, or if Doug would have told them all my secrets out there, they'd all been working oh, harder. Mitch Payton told me a story, I don't know, a little while ago, that Hicks and Storbeck were all pissed at you because you were riding really rough with them, and uh, and you guys were all sponsored by Pro Circuit. And uh, they went to Mitch and said, Mitch, you got to tell Ross, like, you know, he's being a jerk on the track, and he's taking us out, and, and we're going to, you know, we're going to, we can't stand for this. you got to tell him, and... Mitch told me that he was like, yeah, uh, you guys tell him. I ain't telling him. And uh, and then Mitch is like, yeah, they never told anything. The rollerball, they were scared. So. Uh, Ride for Mitch was great back then. Uh, I wish I could have slipped a little more under his wing there if I could have got a little more of uh, – we could have swayed him the Canadian way a little bit more. Yeah. But uh, he was patriotic and stuck behind the Americans. So I had to rough him up a little bit just to let him know that I was serious. Uh, we had a lot of fun anyway. When Ferry was 16, he was racing the Florida Winter Series, and you were kind of on the, on your way out, and he said you used to hit him so hard. He was like, he I used was, to... You know, it's tough when, you, when, you're, when you're out there and you know it's your last year or two and you got these young bucks, you know, they got no fear. They haven't fallen off yet hard enough to break anything. <laughs> They've got no fear out there, and they're going for it, and... Uh, you got to just let them know sometimes who the experienced guys is out there and that they should uh, show some respect for their elders. Cause, uh, you know, they they weren't doing that. Chip wasn't doing that enough with me the last couple of years. So when I got my chances, I let him know that he should. And those hey, and those Florida series, those were good money back then too. He used to tell me that he made really good money at those Florida Winter Series. So Yeah, that uh, they were good money back then. They had lots of behind them and uh and uh they were good cash stars. so and you know tim knew how much i like to uh make money and uh, that's <laughs> henceforth how we uh bumped into each other yeah. the odd time out there hey how about that crash in anaheim 89 when you and bale came together in the air in that triple and do you remember oh. that and you landed on his seat you were like on his seat when he landed and you bounced off was that the landing of 
the century. Oh, I still think back about that. And you know what saved me there was just sheer fear. <laughs> that bike went out from underneath me up in the air when, when he hit me. And we were going through the air, and I thought to myself, this landing will probably kill me if I don't do something. <laughs> so I reached over to the back of his bike, and I hugged on to him, and I kind of landed side saddle on the back of that oh. bike. That's the only thing that saved me because we were what we must have been three stories up on that one, and yeah. that was that was back when the triples weren't forgiving. I mean, yeah. they were uh, you know the third one was peaked and uh, it was high. And, uh, wow, of course, I got to decide to get off that bike in the highest spot on yeah. that treble. So yeah. it, uh, I had to do something there. That was just sheer fear that saved me there. <laughs> was there was there one crash that you remember that was your, your best, your gnarliest one? I mean, is there anything that sticks out? No, gnarliest one? Yeah. Um, well, one of the toughest ones was probably when I broke my hip down in San Diego. That one didn't look like much. It was just kind of fly through the air, hit the bank <laughs> in the bank corner, you know, that 90 degree, and uh, just slide down the bank and then ask the flagman if he could help you stand up. That one was one of the hardest that I've crashed. That it hurt? didn't look yeah. very spectacular. Uh, I'd have to say that one in Anaheim was probably one of the most spectacular or Enduing in St. Gabriel de Brandon at uh, 500 GP, uh, tapped out in about fourth gear, coming up that uphill and that bike kicking out the back end and yeah. doing cartwheels down the top straightaway. That was probably one of the most spectacular. It was definitely a yard sale. That <laughs> you talk about the GPs and the mythical story that I always heard when I was a kid was that. You had a GP ride sort of lined up, but then you had your kidney problem where you crashed and you lacerated your kidney or whatever. Um, yeah. Is that true? Did you actually have a chance at a GP ride? Well, we we were talking over there and uh, and uh, in Jotunberg, Sweden, uh, or we pronounce it Gothenburg, I guess. Uh, it uh, was uh, the race where I hurt my kidney at, and that took me out of uh, took me out of the. Uh, motocross uh disnation the next weekend it was and uh trophy disnation so i missed that and that's when they were going to take uh and look at my results seriously to to put something together over there for germany so it uh i don't know who knows what if what if right, uh, right, right. you know this and that happened uh it could have uh you know back then uh the manufacturers in Canada were paying me a lot of money to to hang around here, so it was tough. Uh, who knows what would have happened? You know, right. uh, could have went on to be a Formula One race car driver if if yes. if this and this <laughs> and that would have happened. But uh, you know, you can never uh, never know. But uh, we were talking about it anyway. When you got like those GP rides in Canada at Moto Park and everything, and you were on that RM500 somehow against Works 500 Hondas and all the world's greatest riders, and you yet you, I believe you got fourth or fifth at, at, on a GP. Like, do you remember that day? Was it was it pretty gnarly to race against those guys on that bike? Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was pretty tough. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, we'd be sitting on the starting line and those guys would, uh, you know, they'd have their water-cooled 500 Hondas and 
and you know, uh, 500s, you know, GP bikes, and these things are just like bring, bring. As they yeah. sit on the line, they're just like crisp and everything. I'm on the line. I can still remember I'm trying to clean out that RM500 <laughs> wide open, and it's like burbling away, vibrating, vibrating like yeah. hell. And uh, you know, it's uh, we had a little bit of a machinery disadvantage of that day, but uh, I uh, back then I tried a little bit harder. So uh, it was it was uh, a lot of fun. I'll never forget that. I mean, I can still remember battling with. Uh, Malherb and, and uh, Gabor's and that and my number plates falling off as I'm going around the uh, <laughs> racetrack and silencers falling off the bikes just disintegrating as, uh, <laughs> as we're doing lap after lap and that 40 minute GP yeah. had that thing just wicked. Uh, it was uh, a lot of fun racing against them guys but you know in my opinion back then the Americans were tougher or right. maybe they just had a little more psychological advantage on me being my heroes I don't know <laughs> yeah maybe interesting now talking about the American guys I'm always interested to know you you went down there so much and, and you had some really good results like third at Hangtown and a fifth at Red Bud and I think a fifth at Binghamton and anyways you, you were a big part of the American racing scene did those guys embrace you like were you I mean obviously Holly and you were, were running mates but like RJ and Wardy and the Lachine, like did they, Omera, did they like embrace you as one of theirs, or did you still feel like you were a little bit of a foreigner, let's say? No, oh, I was foreigner for sure. <laughs> I never changed from being a Canadian. We're, we're uh, I'm proud to be a Canadian. Uh, right. That was a little bit tough out there. It's, you know, you talking about, you know, uh, Hicks and those guys talking uh, to Mitch, uh, yeah. to Peyton back then about. Uh, about you know he going to talk to me about uh, you know not being so rough with him. Uh, it uh, it was a little bit. I can still remember in Seattle, Washington, uh, Keo and I uh, had a horrendous battle on the track, and I think his, Eric might have fallen over in one of the turns by accident or something. And <laughs> and uh, yeah, just by accident, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and anyways, uh, that night my bikes got stolen and. Uh, at the hotel that we were staying at, and I knew the next day, I thought, well, there'll be no problems. I'll just get one of the spare bikes from, uh, you know, U.S. Suzuki, uh, right. loan me something, and uh, not a chance. When they knew I didn't have any machinery, there's no way they were going to help me out. Really? Huh? To battle against their guys. So, no, I was, uh, you know, I was Canadian. I don't know what it's like now. I'm, I'm sure it's still the same. Americans, they hang together pretty tight, and... Uh, and uh, they don't like uh, finishing second to any foreigners, so um, they, they get the Canadian at the back there. <laughs> not feeding them the prime macaroni, shall we say. I was getting <laughs> yeah. the leftovers, so oh, if I even got any. Uh, but it was a little bit tough. It just made it more fun, and, uh, you know, everybody knows us Canadians. We just try a little harder. Yeah, it happen. yeah exactly. Was there – do you have to go? You need to go. I got lots of time. Steve. Okay, all right. Um, talk to me, baby. What's I that? never get to talk. I only you only phone me once every five or six years. So shit, if I get you on the phone, dude, I got to keep you here. <laughs> I'm too nervous. I get nervous in sweaty palms when I got to call. Oh shit! Um, you don't have to be nervous to 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 talk. We can talk anytime we want about anything. All right. Was there one race in America that really stands out for you? Like. Of all the races you did and all the great results you had um, on probably subpar machinery like we were talking about, 
Is there one race in America that really stands out for you that you were like, you were like, damn, I was fast? Oh, I don't know if there's one in particular. There's some motos that uh, were pretty interesting. Uh, Waco, Texas, back in uh, back in oh heck, that must have been about uh, eighty somewhere around the eighty five, eighty six. Mm-hmm. Anyway, back then, I know uh, I was battling the whole race. Uh, and reeling in Bailey back then, and that was, you know, David was uh, a great rider back then, and uh, he just uh, started with uh, the Honda team, and uh, he was uh, phenomenal. I know that was one race I was pretty happy. Uh, what did you end up getting? Uh, like, what what did you end up placing? Oh, I think what uh, we we ended up, we were back a little bit. It was about a fifth or sixth, but uh, it was that, you know, I was with him the whole race, went with him, and right. he's on this uh, great machinery. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm on a basically production bike. There was, you know, there was many races that I was stand out in my mind. I could go on and on the about U- them. What about for, the USGP in Unadilla? Yeah, Unadilla. You know, racing with uh, the GP fellas and uh, and finishing well in those results. That was. That was another race. There was uh, many, many finishes at Gator back in Florida that uh, I was pretty, uh, pretty proud to uh, have finished. Uh, you know, my starts were never, were never good down in the states. Uh, battling against that machinery of theirs was, was a little bit uh, better than uh, uh, my production bike with different handlebars on it. <laughs> and you were a little uh, bit heavier guy too. You know, you were a bigger uh, guy, so. Yeah, that might have been it a little bit. Uh, Maeda, he had the suspension. Uh, he, he, Roscoe always worked hard on the suspension, so we had pretty good suspension. But, you know, I, let's face it, you know, back in those early years, I mean, I was running production bikes against. Right. That was back when they were really works bikes. Sure. You know, uh, they were full on. Uh, you know, some of the machinery back in the early 80s was pretty exotic towards what I was riding and uh, you know to be racing against them guys when they've got you know carbon fiber this and carbon fiber that and you know technology that's three and four years ahead of what you're riding uh, it was pretty pretty, uh, proud to have uh, done them so to name one race in particular gosh (laughs) there were many races that I was pretty happy with Steve yeah, well, that's that's probably a good answer. You know what I mean. Uh, what about today's race, and how much do you follow it? Um, I like to keep uh, in touch, uh, you know, with uh, some of the bigger races, Daytona and whatnot. Uh, and honestly, I've grown a little bit older, like a lot of our generation, and uh, you know, I've uh, grown away a bit from the sport and. Uh, uh, to see some of the stuff that uh, was said and uh, written about me, and honestly, uh, has kind of soured me a little bit uh, at times. Uh, I guess when I'm feeling sorry for myself, uh, you know, I get pissed off. Uh, but uh, so not, I haven't been as tight with it as I as I should. But uh, right. I can also blame that on myself. You know, you gotta sleep in the bed that you make. So. When you came back 
to uh, the background of the scene. It was the early 2000s. You were Blackfoot team manager that, uh, it, you know, we all know it didn't work out so well in the end. You guys had a philosophy uh, difference, I guess you'd say. But what about those days as a manager? Did you like it? And when you were commentator as well, I mean, what what do you think about those days? Uh, those days were, you know, I really enjoyed uh, helping out Mark. Uh, you know, Mark's done, you know, a lot for the sport and putting it where it is in Canada. Uh, it was a lot of fun to hang around the guys, uh, you know, again, uh, the traveling, it was still a little bit close to, uh, you know, from my racing years, I was really tired of traveling for 15 years of living out of a suitcase, was, right. you know, and then it was a couple of years off and then pretty soon traveling around to the nationals was, was a little bit too early to, uh, um, get back into that. So that was the only thing I didn't enjoy, but you know, being around uh, the races and, and, and the crowd and the, and the people that were there, that was awesome, uh, you know. Uh, and as you say, uh, I don't know if it was a uh, philosophy difference or what. With the Blackfoot uh, team, uh, Mitchell and I, we don't get along too good and we don't see eye to eye. Uh, yeah, well, hey, these things happen. When I talked to one of the riders on the team, he when you were managing that he told me that you were you were pretty upset because you saw a lot of guys getting tired and you were like you were you were like the easiest thing to do is train anybody can do that there's no re like maybe you don't have the skill to to win a race but you should never be tired and you just couldn't wrap your head around the fact that these guys were getting tired well you know steve it was it's there's one thing to have the talent and the ability you can't just you can't just go out and make that happen, but there's no excuse for going out there and being tired when you're getting paid to ride. And, you know, that was one thing I got to admit is, uh, you know, uh, the Blackfoot team had, you know, they they had second to none out there as far as anything, uh, the, the motorcycles or any of the equipment they were using was the best uh, out and that money could buy. And, uh, you know, having all that and, and, the the backing that that team had uh, and then to to be there on it and not working at it I mean come on I, that used to <laughs> I used to get a little bit pissed at that because that uh, there's so many guys I think out there that would have would have died just to have that uh, position you know they they work so hard at it and when you see guys like that with with the talent that that they had and just to kind of throw it away it. You know, there was right. a few of them. Uh, we won't mention any names. No, no, yeah, we, it we don't get have... me a little bit pissed off. <laughs> no, that's yeah. what that's what I heard. It was uh, my guy that was riding for them was Jason Thomas in Florida, and he he yeah. said that you liked him because you knew that he tried and he ra he tried and took it seriously. And but he said they worked hard uh, yeah. at what he did, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, I knew he went out and gave it a hundred and ten percent. You know to. And whatever the results were, that's what's dealt, you know, that's the hand you were dealt that day. But, uh, you know, when you got guys that are doing nothing all week and, uh, you know, they're they're on easy street there and they're, right. they're getting half-assed results. So that's what I would be <laughs> upset about. And uh, Thomas, he, he worked hard at it and, you know, he did well and uh, he deserved everything he got and, you know, he even deserved better sometimes, but, uh, you know, the cards aren't dealt your way. Was there a rider in Canada that you raced against that 
that you saw that had a ton of talent, but you know, very little that didn't work at it, that wasn't in shape? Was there a rider that you always thought should could have been so much better than what they really were? Oh God, I don't want to be putting anybody wow. on the spot. I you got know, enough enemies out there. <laughs> you know, I mean, you don't got to You know what I mean? Just somebody that was super talented that maybe didn't do what they sh- what you know that maybe could have done a lot better. Because I mean, I let, don't, you know, yeah. let's face it—you didn't have the most natural talent. You know, obviously oh, you, you had brutal a... for talent. I just went out and worked harder than everybody oh, else. No, you know? Roller, you were talented. Don't give me that shit. You were talented, but <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like they're... I just knock them off. They got to go a little too much faster than I was going. <laughs> <laughs> so no, nobody that you can think iron, of. Iron them, as Zolly would say, we just got to iron them out a little bit. <laughs> iron the wrinkles out. Ah, uh, there was. Uh, I don't know how he can say this here. Uh, you know, he's actually come to an untimely accident. Is you know, Blair. I mean, Blair. I used to look at that guy and see the talent he had. You know, he was from all the guys I've seen in the, the world. Uh, Blair was one of the most talented, really and huh? best riders really? in the world. Like he had, he was as good as any Bailey or Johnson or Hannah, any of the greats, like he was an incredible rider. And I saw that from the first time I rode against the guy was at a, a little Saskatchewan race on the border of Alberta and Saskatchewan. I went out there on a weekend off to go cherry picking. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he actually beat me in the first 125 motor we had. And I thought, wow, this guy is, you know, it's fast. I'd never heard of him before. And then we raced the rest of the day, and I got to battle with him in, in the other motos, and uh, I saw how great a rider he was. And, uh, you know, I just uh, used to frustrate me with, with Blair that, you know, all that talent, he, I wished he would have worked a little harder at it, and uh, I'm really story about his uh, accident that he had and uh, right. wh- where it's put him in. Gosh, uh, Blair, uh, my thoughts are with you. And, uh, man, uh, I know how tough it must be uh, being uh, as, as great as you were. I never saw you on a snowmobile, but I, I heard uh, I heard stories of how great you were, and, and I know the ability you had on a motorcycle. Uh I wished, uh, you know, things would have uh, gone for, for him. Uh, what about uh, what about Daryl Martins? What do you remember about him? He's a good friend of mine. So, uh, Daryl, uh, you know, he was a great rider. I never got to see him as much uh, because, you know, him being NBC, we would run into each other kind of at the nationals, and 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 uh, you know, I'd get to, to ride with him. A great rider, also, uh, just really. Didn't see him as much just because, right. you know, our our paths didn't cross as much, but I, I certainly uh, respected him, and he he was a great rider in his day, and there's no doubt about it. Why do you think, like, like you talk about those internet rumors, um, and like you said, like, you know, if people are talking about you, it might be a good thing, but maybe not, but... Years years later, you, you've really left a mark on a lot of Canadians, including myself. And I mean, I I got some friends of mine that feel the same way that I do. Like you know, you were you were such a great champion and such a Canadian motocross legend. Why do you think you you resonated with this fan so much? Why do you think you've affected them so much? Was it just 
you know, looking back on your career, can you think of one reason why why the country would just still be talking about you and still embrace you as you know as a champion? Gosh, I mean, that's uh, I'm honored to hear you say that, Steve. I mean, that's, well, it's true. Uh, it's pretty, true. Uh, you know, thrilling just to to hear that and and know that you mean it. Uh, it uh, I don't know. I guess. I'd like to. I'd like to think of it, Steve, as uh, they saw a guy out there that was determined and uh, and never gave up, and that's the way we Canadians are. Is we battle right to the end, no matter whether we got the, you know, the the best army, whether we've got the best army, we go in and we we do it right. It doesn't matter whether we're in World War One, Two, or now fighting over there. Now we go out there and uh, and we do it. We make it happen, and uh, I think the, maybe some of the fans saw that in me uh, racing. It's not always that I have the best equipment or maybe the best luck, but uh, I picked up and took what I had and uh, and did the best I could with it. And, and uh, so yeah, I would uh, like to think of it as anyway. Yeah. Well, that's a good answer. No, it's a good answer for sure. So how much money did King's Gear offer you to switch to that gear? <laughs> oh, they must, they must have paid. Much. They must have paid you a fortune to wear that stuff. Uh, they paid me a little bit of money in a good contingency program. It worked out, right? <laughs> I guess that wasn't your favorite gear that you saw me no, wearing. No, Ross, I, I don't. I, I wish I forgot about the King's Gear years. <laughs> <laughs> Did that King's Gear leave a mark, a black mark on the? Uh, I don't know. It just, it just, when I saw you in King's Gear and I was a kid, I'm like, no, Ross, you sold out for the money. <laughs> you did, eh? See, you were a businessman at heart right there. You knew why I did yeah, it. Yeah, anyway. no, I know. I'm just, I'm, hey, I'm bugging. Stevie, when you're getting old and you're on your way out, sometimes you got to take go for the money. When you, when you start seeing the guy grabbing the money, you know he's on his way out. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like, it's like, <laughs> It's like an old rock star releasing greatest hits CDs after CDs. You're yeah, like, yeah, greatest hits. <laughs> your last year of racing in Canada, you won the titles. You were, I believe, you won all three, or maybe two. No, you won two titles your last year. And uh, then, well, I won uh, 125, uh, 125, 250. Yeah, they didn't end 500, but the well, you had that bastard 500 for a while. That's what it was. They didn't win the Grand National because they didn't have the 500. Was that what it was? Well, you had that CR500 in an RM250 frame. Yeah. <laughs> that ill-handling unit there. The thing was fast, but boy, was it scary on the straightaway. <laughs> I can remember being down at that GP down in Glen Helen, and we were out practicing that week before down there. And I forget whose bike we were I rode and we switched bikes and uh, they wanted to try this thing and man I couldn't get over how their Kawasaki was so right. would go so straight down the straightaways <laughs> you know and wouldn't uh, they got off mine and they were white <laughs> yeah. wondering how I could even ride this thing and the motor was sitting a little high in the frame I, that's all I bet um, I told him you got used to it after a while like <laughs> The thing is, is like you could have kept riding. Why did you quit? What you you won titles? You were you just over it? Were you not making any money? You could have kept milking it out. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? You went out on top, and I admire that. Was there just something that happened that year that you were like, "I'm done"? Uh, I'll tell you what. My father, who I think is probably the wisest man that I know, 
I was going to make a comeback, and this is this answer to this was the answer to your question. Mm-hmm. I was going to make a comeback uh, about five years after I retired. I was starting to get bored, you know. I had nothing to do, and I'm thinking I'm seeing these guys out here riding, and I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to come back, and I'm going to kick their asses again <laughs> and show them that this old guy can do this because I was confident I could do it, and I was... I was excited about it, and I'd had a few years off, so I was refreshed. I was ready to go, you know, and a few people told me, you know, like, why, Russ? Why do you want to do it? You don't, you know, it's not for the money. You've won 40-some championships. You don't need any more championships. Why are you going to do it? And, uh, you know, I really wrestled with that because everybody was saying the same thing to, to me. That's when them rumors were going around that I was going to come back, and I really was. And uh, I, I asked my father, I says, you know, he says, uh, you know, I said, what do you think about me coming back, Dad? Do you think it's a smart decision? What do you think? And he says, he says uh, the same question that you mentioned to me, why did you quit? And I thought about that, and, and it, it just all came to me. Why did I quit? I got scared. Wow. Had to, 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 I, I lost, you know, that's to, to be flat open and lay all the cards down and show you everything. I got scared to you. I was, it was, you know, them big jumps, like every time I'd gotten hurt, Steve, like mm-hmm. pelvis in San Diego, kidney in Sweden. It all came down to the jumps, like the big doubles and triples. Look at what happened to me in, in Anaheim. I land on the guy's side of his bike. Yeah. I could have been easily deaf or, you know, yeah. uh, the position that David or Blair, or, you know, are, are in right now, you know, a, a spinal injury very easily. Mm-hmm. Like, I walked away with that with, I think, a, a sprained ankle or something. Like, I mean, I still, to these to this day cannot believe that I walked away from that. Like that was like uh, that was crazy. Like and how many more of those was there that we I've forgotten about there's yeah. been so many, you know, crashes like that uh uh that I've walked away from and I you know, more guys were getting hurt, you know. Uh, David at the time with his uh you know, his injury and all these guys started getting hurt. Magoo with his injury, you know, and that's something, Steve, as you know, uh, would you ever, how, I don't know how how these guys do it, you know, to right. be so great as where they were and so free and so wild and, you know, just, you know, to, to be in confined to where they are. Uh, Steve, I like I'm, I, I'm. If there's anything I'm scared of, like rollerball. If there's anything you're scared <laughs> of, I wasn't scared to mix her up with anybody, but I was scared of getting hurt that way, so, being limited to right. something. Uh, Steve, that's what happened, and I got scared, and I said I was going to do it one more year, and that was it, and I wanted to retire on top. Mm-hmm. Steve, I can remember in Quebec. I was sure they would do this. So this is when Val and Clint and I were, you know, in the last couple of years. They knew I didn't like jumps. I was, and every time we went to a Quebec race, 
they would have them fucking <laughs> national jumps would be just ugly. Like these doubles there that were just like, I can't even believe they're putting this on an outdoor track. Like they were crazy doubles. I can remember at a race out in uh, Valley Junction, every lap I'd get over that jump and I would, you know, it was just like a sigh of relief. I made it. We'd do the next half of the track and three corners before this jump, I would start thinking, oh my God, I got to do this one more lap. Wow. One more lap. And it was like that. That was the whole frigging day I was doing that. I was scared of this jump. And it was like there was only a few experts making it, but, you know, to, to, to be battling up there, you had to do it. And not to do it, it would cost you, you know, a couple seconds a lap. You do, you, you had to do it every lap. And you imagine this ape on a 125 <laughs> out there. Like, I'm just like, well, you know, I got yeah. my asshole puckered and then lifting on the handlebars and foot pegs, you know, take it over this jump, and I'm doing it every lap. I just, you know, just sitting over a crash in San Diego from a broken pelvis and... After a while, all them crashes add up, and uh, in all honesty, you know, you, I was a little gun shy. I was getting gun shy. Yeah, you could just see the French uh, bulldoze operator just piling the dirt up, going, <laughs> "We've got oh, the, we've like got I'm the sure rollerball this time." <laughs> I'm sure Valancourt was paying them. Like I was, I was convinced of this. You know, I was like, "Fuck these guys! They know I hate jumps." So, track is just jump infested you know <laughs> and uh you know nowadays the kids grow up on that stuff that's, that's oh. what it's all about i mean i grew up on an like I, i'm a motocross guy unadilla my favorite track that's me uh nowadays you know stevie when i see these guys if you told me a guy did a flip on a motorcycle i'd tell you you're full of shit i tell you it's impossible you <laughs> can't do it when i see this unless i actually physically saw this with my own eyes I would, I would think that's not possible. That's trick photography or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you believe that they're doing flips on motorcycles? I know, I know. Or, flips or, on snowmobiles. New, what a double black, a double. a double flip on a snowmobile. Some guy was doing. Yeah. Did you see this? I'm gonna email you this. You got to give me your email address. I'm gonna send you this. Uh, jump did you see that over in france where the guy jumps up uh i don't know 10 stories or something onto the top of this building by the eiffel tower and it turns and jumps off it no that was in vegas no was that in vegas yeah i went to that jump it was in vegas okay it was vegas i thought it was over in france well no it, i it, saw it, it on the somebody sent it to me on the internet yeah it's it was at a hotel that was made after paris it's got an eiffel tower it's got a Champs-Élysées. It's, it's it's a replica of wow paris. dude can you believe that i went to it i was standing there i was 30 feet away wow <laughs> was it that he hit the, me he hit the rent he hit the rent i mean that yeah. that takes some guts to do that oh that's, yeah that's number one yeah that takes guts but when I see these guys going through the air, hanging onto the rear fender, <laughs> or doing a flip on that motorcycle, I'm that, you know, that's not guts. That's talent, talent, uh, no brains. <laughs> like, there's so many different aspects of that. Like, that that really wows me. Like, that is, uh, that blows me away. Hey. I mean, what that guy did in Vegas was... Yeah. 
wow, hey, you know, you're a pretty ballsy guy, but these guys that are doing what they're doing now, this uh, extreme stuff is... Hey, you were you were ahead of your time. You grabbed onto Bale's rear fender in the air. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I can remember, you know, back in the day where guys thought you were crazy if you took one hand off the handlebars. Oh, I know. Or if you did a no-hander, you were out of your freaking mind. That was like, guys shook their head. They couldn't believe that. Dude, I went to... I <laughs> Could probably... you imagine coming from that era yeah. where doing a one-hander was a big deal, like you were somebody if you could do that? Right. To where guys are hanging onto the rear fenders doing triple jumps, <laughs> you know, hanging onto the rear fender playing Superman? Yeah. What, what... Like, Stevie, what a... Like, we've come from the grassroots to this insane stuff, and we've seen everything <laughs> in between. It's it's absolutely... it's phenomenal what how how much the sports changed in one, the last 20 years one of my favorite memories as a kid and i i literally probably saw you race 20 or 30 arena crosses all across canada because my dad would drive me there and i would race the 80 support class or later yeah. on i would be a pro but my favorite memories is you and the radical jump you would do the same move every time you would twitch your bars kick it out put the one hand up and you would win every time because it was crowd applause, right? So you, yeah. you would always win because you were we were in Canada. So <laughs> um, yeah, that was a big deal, eh? I know it was, and like yeah, the biggest thing was like no leggers. I remember Lachine used to do no legger. You know, it was like a big deal. <laughs> yeah, like, and now you see these guys, and it's like if you can't do a <laughs> flip on your motorcycle, you're nobody. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Like, can you believe we've come to that? No. Like. Stevie, what is going to happen and what's going to be down the road 10 years from now? I don't know. We don't. Like, you, you think of a guy like what DeCoster has seen. We're working on getting you out to Toronto and wait till you see James Stewart ride. Just wait till you see that kid ride. I've heard he's like, I mean, Carmichael, I mean, he odd meet in, in Daytona the last time I was down there. Right. I think that was back with Blackfoot back in 2000. Right. He odd me with his ride at Daytona, how strong he was, how good he was. He odd me, and I heard uh, Stewart is supposed to be yeah. even better than that. He's just more talented, you know what I mean? He just does more things with the with the bike than Ricky ever did. So it's uh, Wow, it's, that, that, that must be... Uh, that must be something to see. It's unbelievable. What what advice would you give to to an up and coming rider? Like you know, if you had somebody come to you, you do these schools now, and, and you work with work kids, and and I guess you work with some adults too. But what's one piece of advice you would give an up and coming rider? Anybody listening? Uh, to this? One piece of advice: stay determined, stay focused, and don't ever give up. Just like your career, huh? <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks for doing this, Ross. I appreciate it. Stevie, any time I can help you out, bro, or, or do anything for you, I'd love to. I'd love to come to Toronto and and, and be with you guys down there. And any time, I, I I love being you know back around the race. It's 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 tough for me to come you know to to go to like a, I didn't go to the nationals this year, Steve, just because. Uh, did I want to? Yeah, of course I did. I want mm-hmm. to come out and see everybody, but do I? I in all honesty, Ro, I I was uh, I was um, I didn't want to come out and be embarrassed a little bit. Uh, 
of you know about what's being said in that. I yeah. I miss you guys, man. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll work on that. I would just I just want to be there when you and Holly start swapping old stories. That's all. That's oh, that would be so awesome, Stevie. <laughs> it uh, it'd be great, and uh, I I'd, I'd love to I'd love to be there and, and be with you guys. I I just you know I don't want to I don't want to hurt the sport in any way, and uh, I'm a little bit embarrassed. Well, I'm not a little bit. I'm a lot embarrassed of how far it went with me on uh, you know the bad side. Uh, I wish you know it, it wouldn't. Cause I've brought a lot of, I've let a lot of people down, and uh, I'm just a human being, man. I, I, I've made my mistakes too. I do make mistakes, and I did. Yeah, that's exactly it, Roller. Everybody, everybody, you know, makes mistakes, and we're, and we're all human. And well, some would say that you were maybe superhuman, but uh, <laughs> that might be me. Oh, okay, so you're, you got to be my biggest fan. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> no, I just, I, I just, you, I mean, like I tell people, like I tell, I, I live in the states now, and I, I talk you up, and actually, I, I have a bunch of pictures of you on my website that'll be launched probably next week, but. Right on. You were the guy. I mean, you were it when you were a Canadian kid and you were a fan of moto. To me, you were you were the guy. You know what I mean? So that's yeah, all. it's uh, it's uh, it's to to hear a, a guy of your stature and 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 knowledge and uh, where you're at now, Stevie, to say something like that. That's uh, it makes me feel really good inside, man. Yeah, you make me feel uh, yeah. Well, good. I've gone through a lot of turmoil in the in the last couple of years here, Stevie, and uh, that's why you haven't seen me around the race. And that I'm I'm in, being honest with you, I'm embarrassed. Nah. But, uh, from what's said, is it, it's easier for you, it's easy for you to say, you know, ah, don't worry about it. But you know, I I'm embarrassed to have I've let not only have I let you down or my fans down, but I've let myself down. Well, that's all right. Hey, we all we all screw up. Let's let's just keep going forward, right? Let's just look yeah, forward. Yeah, so. like I said, stay stay focused. I'm getting back focused. Like I say, I'm going to do these schools, and uh, I'm uh, you know all I can do is, and all I can say is you know is I'm sorry, and uh, and I'm going to make it right, and uh, I'm uh, you know like if I can save one person from that uh, shit. Uh, Man, let me know, and I'll fly from here to uh, New York to just uh, to, to to give somebody a lecture on it. Cause right. I would. All right. Uh, to hey. save one person would uh, would be worth it. And uh, thanks for thanks for being behind me through these tough times, Steve. I appreciate it, and I really do mean that from my heart. And uh, well, cool, Roller. I don't. Uh, cool. This is this is much of an honor for me, as you know, for as anything I've done, honestly. So uh, I, I'm a, a Pump to be able I'm to looking, call you I'm up. I'm looking so. forward to seeing you, Stevie, and uh, it's uh, going to be going to be an honor just to sit down and having a Canadian Labatt flight <laughs> or something yeah, over, yeah. over some bullshit section with Holly. Great. Well, thanks again, Ross, and I'll be in touch. Okay, bro. Thanks. You take care and call me anytime. All right. Bye bye. Okay, bud. Bye bye. Wow. There it was, the Ross Rollerball Peterson podcast. So. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I don't even know what to say anymore. I'm at a loss for words. That was awesome. That was great. That was awesome. I uh, I sound like a little bit of a fan, but whatever. I don't care. Quit bugging me. Like I said, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. It's uh, times like these podcasts that really make me uh, enjoy doing my job. So uh, look for again for next week for RacerX Podcast, directmotocross.com podcast. 
And thanks again for listening. See you next week. 